Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome in on a Friday, Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Warkey, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. And it's Friday the 13th, by the way. I didn't know that until I was walking into the studio. It's Friday the 13th. So don't let any black cats walk in front of you or walk underneath a ladder or something. I don't know what Friday the 13th is. I just know it's supposed to be a bad day and there's an old horror movie about it outside of that. I don't know what it means, but apparently it's noteworthy. So, happy Friday the 13th. Is that a thing? Hey, Dad's the I mean, cat guy. Be. I do have two cats. None of one of them are black. Uh, but, yeah, happy Friday the 13th. It can be a thing. Sure, it can be a thing. So, it's a, a spooky day, I guess, and it's great to be with you on this Friday afternoon. And, guys, I think I'm going to start a campaign. I'm listening. I'm going to start a campaign to bring minor league hockey back to Mississippi. All right. I, I can be... I can be swayed into that it was cool the first time i was a younger kid but i believe they had some issue about selling beer in the coliseum at the time it may still be a thing and that's what really drove the bandits off i could have that our, wrong but that's what i remember our you, first order of business is we're not putting it in the coliseum we're, we're going to another city with a better arena i'll be there next saturday what an establishment i'll be there next sunday why uh, state plays uh, New Mexico State. Oh, they have back-to-back, so, back, so Ole Miss has... Who's Ole Miss yeah. playing on that Saturday? I think uh, they usually play CELA, or they have the last... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's who that is. I'm just showing up for the hell of it. Rip, rip yeah, it I'll be there. <laughs> if they, be can there promise me, they can promise me a seat and all the lights will be on, I'll be there. There you go. Yeah, I'm bringing hockey back. You can't have minor league hockey without beer. Like That's just no. a, a non-starter, but I, I think I'm bringing hockey back. May, I may have just made that up, by the way. Well, no, I don't think you're. That's wrong. just what I, I remember. We're going to take your word for it. But either way, I'm bringing it back because we're, we're making our holiday plans, and uh, my wife and I and, and our son are going to go visit my parents in upstate South Carolina, and they've got a minor league hockey team in town. And we went last year and had a blast. So we're kind of planning our Christmas around going to see a hockey game, and it's not even like the high level one. But that's the highlight of the trip. We need hockey back here. And I read a Rick Cleveland article because I was thinking about it. Uh, about uh, We've actually had a handful of teams here. We had the Jackson Bandits. There was a team in South Haven uh, who actually folded uh, last year. And I believe there was one on the coast as well. So people have tried it here. But if you do it and do it right, it can be so much fun. The uh, the I believe the Bandits and the Coast team played in the same league and got into a fairly famous brawl, if you'll YouTube. It's a YouTube legend. Mississippi hockey fight? Would that do it? Yeah, here we go. Jackson Bandits versus Mississippi Seawolves. I just pulled it up. There's gloves every, everywhere. <laughs> i got to watch that at the break now. But I'm going to bring that back. Because 
I'm I'm not being hyperbolic. My favorite sports viewing experience is live hockey. And if you can sit on the glass for five bucks and like pound half price beers on a Thursday night, then why would you want to do anything else? Oh, there's one in Tupelo as well, the Tupelo T Rex. Yeah, so that's four so far. Yeah, this fight's pretty good. There's three different groups of people beating each other pretty violently. And then there's one goalie just kind of standing around while the other team's goalie came across the ice and is giving someone else the business. <laughs> or if you're giving play by play of a throwback hockey fight. Uh, the first time I took my wife home uh, to meet my parents and stuff, we went to one of those games. And I think both of you guys have met my wife. She's she's five foot two and she's she's a tiny little thing and like sports, I guess, but doesn't has never really particularly cared about them all that much. And we go to our first hockey game. I grab a beer. We sit down. Not even five minutes into it, a fight starts. And she literally gets up on the edge of her seat and her jaw drops. And she watches this fight. And you would have thought that that was the greatest day of her life, how much she enjoyed hockey from then on out. Five foot nothing, hundred nothing, my wife. These dudes are beating on each other. And the best part about hockey fights is they don't break it up unless the dudes hit the deck. So the guys like grab each other by the shoulder and hold each other up so they can keep pounding on each other, and she's just wide-eyed, mouth wide open, like thinks it's the coolest thing she's ever seen. I want to bring that back here to Mississippi for a your wife tries unadulterated violence is what I'm getting. Well, we also learned that she's a big U, uh, UFC fan. We, uh, I mean, some buddies got together and did the McGregor and um, Mayweather fight, and again. I had no idea, and while the fight's going on, she's sitting here like scoring it and stuff, and like giving me technical terms. I had no idea. <laughs> so she likes uh, violence. Does she also like great drama and hilarious comedy? Seems to be all the above. Yes. Okay, great. Would she like to come with us to AEW next month in South Haven? What's that? All Elite Wrestling. No way. Yeah. I think she would enjoy the heck out of that. I got my, I got my, t- I'm a, I would be off on January the 8th. Somebody listening in the office want to write that down. I will, I'll be on my way to South Haven. Get yeah, a text from the 601 here. Tupelo T Rex was an awesome time. Cheap beer, good food, and boxing on ice. I miss it every winter. Mark and Liberty says he used to go to Seawolves games and they were great. I was there for the famous brawl. Bring hockey back. It's a campaign, it's a movement. Starting it right here. Where would we put it? Somewhere obscure. Like Prentice. <laughs> That's a good choice. Uh, the Prentice Panthers. Well, you know, a little more centralized. Maybe Quitman. <laughs> you could do it at that outdoor rink they have in Ridgeland every year. Ooh. That's outdoor hockey. Aren't they doing the Winter Classic like winter in classic. Dallas this year? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, a friend of mine is, is headed to that. Yeah. yeah, they're they're having an outdoor hockey game, Rippy, in Dallas, Texas. Well, they have one every year, you know, but they, I don't know they've had one this far south before, though. When is it? Uh, it's New Year's Day. Oh, I'll be in Dallas on New Year's Day. I might have to get tickets to that. Man, yeah, you should definitely. That that's you got to go to that. Yeah, I mean they've done it at Michigan Stadium. They did it in Buffalo when it snowed the whole time. Imagine that. Think Super Talk would let me periscope my behavior at the Winter Classic <laughs> in the first period, maybe not the third. Fair enough. The natural progression. Philip Starfield says hockey 
is okay on TV, but it's best appreciated in person. I would hockey, say this is the the best sport to watch live. Period. Yeah, I it's agree. It's so that. fast, man. Yeah. Plus, there, it's 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 cold in there, so you don't have to worry about being hot at any point in the game. Yeah, you can wear your your sweater, is what they're called, not jersey. Don't say jersey around hockey guy, by the way. Yeah, it's a sweater. Be careful. I made that mistake once. I'll never make it again. Whew. You, you, you got to be careful with hockey guy. He'll he'll he, that, that he's worse than soccer guy. And here's what they do. And, and we won't get it around here because most of like the text line right now is just people saying that you know they used to love going to these minor league games. But it, you have these hockey people that when national folks like watch playoff hockey and enjoy it, but like they get terminology wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're so stupid. You don't even like it. Like, Okay, you beg for national attention, and when you get it, you tell people they're stupid. That's, that's a, way that's, more soccer guy, though. Most hockey people are nice. Yeah, a lot of soccer guy will be like, you don't even, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, Do you even think the be game's beautiful, watching. bro? Yeah, just be happy you're watching. That's all I say. Yeah, so I'll start the GoFundMe. You can actually just send it to my Venmo, uh, if you'd like. Um, <laughs> and we'll, Brian dot Ada. The Equipment uh, Quails. No, that's a bad name. <laughs> no, nah, that's no good. What's something that people hunt in Mississippi? 30 to 50 feral hogs. I know it. I know it. The Black Panthers. Well, I like that. The Belzona Black Panthers? Done. Get an arena built. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, man. It is uh, great to be with you guys on this Friday. Uh, Jimmy in Hattiesburg is asking if we found uh, Rippy's article on the toy boat race. We did. What is the infatuation with that? I don't know. Because, Did you answer my question on the pod? I haven't listened. Uh, well, uh, what was your question? What makes what's the difference between an average toy boat racer and a champion one? Aerodynamics and physics. Oh, there you go. According to Rippy's article, they had to be afloat for what was it, fifty seconds to count? Yeah, and then I re- I read reread the article again, and the lady told me it was once featured on ESPN, and I think she just lied to me. That there's a zero percent <laughs> chance that that was ever on ESPN. The Ocho is not a real thing. Uh, we get a name suggestion: the Hazelhurst Hogs, the Pickens, Pickens Panthers. Panthers, Pickens Panthers. Yes, close enough to the Jackson Metro area that it can be a draw. Tim and Tupelo with the political joke. It's you know it's fine. It's Friday. He said back in the T Rex days, there were more hockey fans at a game than a Joe Biden rally. Oh, nailed it. Love this. We've got Jimmy Buffett and Christmas happening today. Worlds are colliding here. And I I get a a tweet here that says there's a new facility coming to Rankin County that might be interested in hosting. That's uh, something that I wasn't aware of. We're halfway there. It's already in the works. I mean, Super Talk's got his name on a music venue. Why not a hockey venue? I'm just, you know, spitballing here. Idea man. The Bogachetto Bobcats. Why not just cut the cats, the Bobs? (laughs) (laughs) we'll be right back at sports talk mississippi in the renaissance bank studio thanks for uh, indulging me on this friday afternoon you know there's not a whole lot going on we've got army navy this weekend a ton of nfl stuff to get to with you arkansas named a defensive coordinator does it change the way you look at the sam Pittman hire we'll talk about all that here coming up later on in the show we got picks as well Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, is 
talking about playoff expansion, but there's a caveat, and I think the SEC should not cave to that caveat at all. And uh, Greg Sankey certainly doesn't sound like he's going to, but I'll tell you all about that later on. But I I do appreciate you guys uh, indulging me on this Friday, talking hockey in Mississippi. Apparently a lot of you have some memories of this thing. I know Rippy, if you follow us on Twitter, Sports Talk or Rippy or myself, uh, you will see uh, the old video. Do you know what year this was, Rippy? Nope. It's an old grainy video, but it's uh, of the old brawl that happened between the Jackson Bandits and the, what is it, the Biloxi Seawolves? Sure. They were called the Mississippi The Mississippi Seawolves. Sea I think they were actually the Mississippi Gulf Coast Seawolves. Sea Wolves. Did you know that they're... You remember, do you remember the CBA? The, the CBA? No. Yeah, the Continental Basketball Association. I do not. It was like a minor league in, for the NBA. It, but it wasn't owned by the NBA. It was completely separate. But it was a, it was just a minor league basketball. But there, there was a team down on the coast for that, too. The Mississippi Gulf Coast Jets. Huh. So, I only remember uh, the NBDL is what it was called, and yeah, no, no, this is way before that, way before that. the The team we had uh, in Greenville was the Greenville Groove, and they wore bright lime green uniforms, similar to what the Seahawks wear. And Ansu Cisse was actually on that team for a little while. Then he got called up to the SuperSonics, who may they rest in peace. We don't need to go down that road. Uh, Stan in Ripley says, I've been to a hockey game between Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Yeah, they do have uh, two uh, club hockey teams at the uh, arena there in Tupelo. He said it was an intramural game. He guesses. Yeah, they're club teams, so they're not scholarship sports. And he said Ole Miss won 23-3, and so he's out on hockey. But he'll stick to Disney on ice. wonder if anyone peed on the ice. That would be a great celebration, though, the next time those two play each other. You certainly wouldn't get flagged in hockey for that. No. Well, you don't get flagged in hockey at all. You get my point, though. Yes. What do you think about that concept in football? What? Allowing fights? I I forget what coach brought it up. I think it was Mike McIntyre before the season started that said football targeting should be like hockey penalty box. You miss a certain amount of game minutes. So if the penalty is 30 game minutes, if you have a targeting penalty in, in the first quarter, you get to come back for the fourth. If you get your targeting penalty with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, you have to miss the first 25 minutes of the next game. Use it as minutes missed instead of quarters missed. Because if you target a guy on the first play of the second half, it's different than the final play of the game. You know what I mean? So to make right. the, the penalty more fair, do it like hockey. If you do this penalty, you miss this many game minutes. I don't mind that. I don't mind that idea. Tim and Tupelo is asking about arena football. I think, is that still happening at least uh, in the Jackson area? I think. I don't know if it's in the Jackson area. Not. There used to be a team in Tupelo, the Tupelo Fire Ants. They're, uh, they were working on one. Because yeah. I think we brought it up a while well, ago. Didn't the Arena League just go out of business? Yeah, those things keep folding. But they they went out of business because of the indoor league or something like that. Okay, so there still is an, an indoor league. Yes, people are playing on half side fields inside somewhere. I just don't know the name of the league. <laughs> well, the XFL will be up and running soon. So. 
Michael in Poplarville says uh, the Ice Pilots were what the Seawolves changed their name to. That's a significantly better name than the Mississippi Gulf Coast Seawolves. Ice Pilots, yeah. much better. I like that. Bandit's Brawl was in either 99 or 2000. Robin Tupelo reminds you that if it does snow, if it's yellow, don't eat it. Hey, Dad. Hey! <laughs> uh, from said the, it was lemon. From the 770, I worked in Memphis for a year, he says. My coworkers and I used to pay 10 bucks every Thursday for Mississippi River Kings games to sit on the glass and drink six tall cups of beer. We pounded the glass all game, some of the best times. <laughs> That's what you do, man. I don't know why. Like every time there's a play up against a glass, everybody on the front row just stands up and just starts beating the glass for some reason. Because it's fun. It's fun, and you've had a few, and so you hit the glass. Everybody else does, so why wouldn't you? Well, if like the people you're watching are being violent, like you got to participate in some way, so just hit what's in front of you. It's kind of what I always gathered. There you go. You kind of just described Eagles games as well. Yeah, I guess that's true as well. Last one, and then we'll move on to football. Bo, Bo in Gulfport Golf says Biloxi has been home to two different hockey teams, two basketball teams, an indoor soccer team, an indoor football team, and now they do have the current Biloxi Shuckers down there. Yeah. Title Town USA. Better than Valdosta, Georgia. I forgot that's what won it. Was that the. They only did that once, right? What? I think. ESPN did a campaign, hey, Dad, this is years ago, for Title Town USA, the city that had the most championships, the best uh, sports teams. And mm-hmm. it, the winner was Valdosta, Georgia. Not Boston or somewhere like that, but I know that Valdosta, Valdosta Georgia's high school team was a dominant team for many, many years. It may still be. I don't know. I would have voted for Batesville, personally. Speaking of, we'll look at football now. This was, and I want to talk about this because I think we're getting ahead of our skis a little bit on Lamar Jackson. Not that he is not special because he is. The Ravens win 42-21 last night. Jackson had five touchdowns on 15 completions. So, yeah, doing the math, that's a touchdown every third completion. That's unbelievable. He added 86 on the ground. Just been dominant for a long time. He's a special talent, a special athlete. But when you hear people talk about Lamar Jackson, they say he's changing the way you're going to look at football. He's changing the way you're going to call offense and all of this stuff. But my question is, wasn't Mike Vick that guy too? Well, yeah. Mike There's Vick just, was that guy. Randall Cunningham was that guy before him. Uh, and Cam football's Newton's still largely the same. Yeah, because everything's cyclical. The Wildcat was supposed to change the NFL, right? It's I'm not saying it where... won't, but the odds of it something actually tra- changing football for forever are so small. It's kind of a wait and see thing. Here, here's why it won't change football because there aren't 15 or 20 Lamar Jacksons. There's yeah, just where the do one. you go get one? Exactly. It will change I mean, the way people evaluate quarterbacks, though. It, that it should do. I agree with that, but. The idea that, you know, in five years that Lamar Jackson is going to be the best Lamar Jackson in a league full of Lamar Jacksons is, is slightly silly. Because, I mean, you can, as special as, you know, a guy like Drew Brees is, there are a lot of Drew Breeses out there skill set wise. Yes. He's just, he's special for longevity and 
accuracy, and there's not a whole bunch of guys that are as accurate as he is, but there's a lot of six-foot dudes that are as as athletic as him that have as strong of an arm as him. But to your point, hey, Dad, Lamar Jackson's going to change the way the NFL is played. No, he won't, because how many Lamar Jacksons are in this upcoming draft? There's, there's not one. What about yeah. the next one? Well, there's not one there either. He is such a dynamic runner that even somebody with just his running ability doesn't exist all that often. And then you right. pair it with his ability to throw the football, and you've got basically a unicorn. Right. That is, you know, they just, they just don't grow on trees. If they did, every college would go out and get one. Uh, I mean, it, it's just, just he's a very special player. And he may change the way, like Rippy said, that people evaluate the next guy like that, or just you know, quarterbacks who are in college that they're good runners. You know, they they have gotten an unfair stereotype for whatever reason. But the idea, but it's silly to think, and this is true about every, every you know, Cam Newton was supposed to be this guy, and here we are a few years later, and Cam Newton is about to be a free agent, and be allowed to walk away from a team for free, probably. Uh, so yeah, I, I always I don't ever get caught up in those kind of things. Football. Has basically, I mean, there's been some changes, but for the most part, it's it's just the same game. It's running, throwing, tackling, and kicking. You know, and the idea that one player is going to change everything is just sort of is sort of uh, unrealistic to me. Robert says Ole Miss has one. Speaking of somebody with that skill set, if he can develop the arm, well, that's the thing. Lamar Jackson, didn't, he already had the arm. He didn't. The development didn't happen. He was already a superstar mm-hmm. from day one. We'll continue on the the NFL conversation. Dan Mullen had some interesting comments. We wanted to get to this yesterday, but just kind of ran out of time. Sounds like he wants to be considered for jobs in the NFL. What kind of NFL coach would he be? Text us, 601-879-4395. You've been talking hockey today. Let's talk some football. Do you think Dan Mullen would be a good NFL coach? His name's been floated out there. He didn't deny that he was interested. In fact, he said the opposite. Do you think he would be successful? Let us know. 601-879-4395. And we'll be right back at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. This Christmas. The question is, would Dan Mullen be a successful head coach at Sports Talk Mississippi? I'm Michael Borkies, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Friday afternoon. So far, 52 votes and 58% say no. And here's where this came from. There was uh, an interview recently. I would play the audio for you, but the the audio quality wasn't good enough for for radio. But you could see it in his face when he was asked uh, about the rumors that were tying him to the Dallas Cowboys. He lit up. Uh, I'm not a body language expert, but when somebody smiles when they're asked about something, pretty good indication that they're interested in it. And here was his quote. I've never been in the NFL, so it's not something that I've even thought of or considered. That's a lie. I've never even been an assistant in the NFL, so if someone ever calls me, then I would probably consider it then. But it's not something that I've considered at this point. Again, that's a lie. But would Dan Mullen, in your guy's opinion, and we got a bunch of texts, we'll get to those, be a good coach in the NFL? What's his weakness as a coach? He's not a good recruiter. Recruiting. What do you not have to do in the NFL? There it is. So you think so? With Jerry no, 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 no. I don't think it would work, but there's pluses because it's more complex than that. Mm-hmm. But there's pluses and minuses because Dan's default setting seems to be kind of uh, 
Is abrasive the right word sometimes? We can go with that. Yeah, it's, that's fine. So if he's not having to worry about recruiting, and he's an incredible on-the-field coach, if he's got a GM, well, in da- if he took the Dallas Cowboys job, there's really no telling who would actually be having a say in acquiring the talent. But like on a normal NFL like construction, like the way a franchise is constructed, if he's got a good GM, I think it could work. He's a good coach. I mean, that's that's the bottom line with this. He's a good offensive football coach, um, and especially you know they we sort of floated this on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Could a Mullen Prescott reunion happen? If that happens, I, I I would think that would be successful because I think Mullen is is obviously I, I you know Tebow is a he never played for Mullen as a head coach, so obviously Dak Prescott is his greatest protege. And he's only gotten better since he left college. I think those two w- would make a, a good team up in Dallas. But that said, I think Dan Mullen could be a successful NFL coach. Is that the best Where? marriage for him, though? Because the Dallas Cowboys yeah. have all kinds of structural issues. Like, he's ba- he'd basically well, just be a yes man. That's the thing. Mullen's ego is great enough that he and Jerry would probably collide. You know, what's, what's made the Jerry Jones-Jason Garrett relationship works so well is that Garrett is legitimately just happy to be there and and Jerry sort of runs things whereas Mullen would you know he would make his his case known so if Jerry was willing to step back and let Mullen do that I think it could work but you're probably right that that would be a clash of of gigantic egos Roger suggests that Cleveland should look at Dan Mullen It it would not be a bad idea Guy's an offensive coach. The, 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 the thing that would be funny, what would happen with John Hevesy and Billy Gonzalez, the guys who have been hanging on to Mullen for the better part of two decades now? They're not going to the NFL with him, I promise you that. A text here from somebody in the 662 would be an awful head coach. College breeds the authoritarian coach. Pro is a manager of practice and game day. Yeah. Steven, he says, relentless effort would be Dan's new motto again. Yeah. Ah, well, you know, got to play the Steelers this week. See how it goes. A text from the 662 asking, who would you take, Steve McNair or Lamar Jackson? Steve McNair. Steve McNair. I mean, it's not even close. Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's having a a, a nice run a couple years into his career, but Steve Jackson, I'm sorry, Steve McNair is a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word. Oh, man. I probably shouldn't read this, but I'm going to. It's Friday. Whatever. From the 662. No, Megan Mullen can't kiss those grown men like that. You don't know that. They might (laughs) might be down for it. That is still bizarre. And and in case you don't understand the reference, before every game, Dan's wife, who clearly is very appreciative um, of the players at Florida. I don't know. Did she do this at Mississippi State? If she did, I don't. I don't recall it, but uh, it's possible. I, I, never, I was never at the front of the dog walk to take a look. Yeah, but I don't remember anybody ever talking about it either. There's, there's video of her, and, and it's. And I'm, I'm going to try to be nice here. Of the players when they do whatever they call the walk into the stadium that Florida players do, like when they're getting off the bus, she she will embrace them, you know, give them a good hug and a kiss, a, a very. Hard kiss on the cheek or somewhere on their face. Like all the players as they walk by. That's what the reference is. Yes. And I, I, you know, she's just a very loving woman. 
Tim and Tupelo says, uh, I would say yes for an assistant, say offensive coordinator, but not a head coach. I have I have gotten word from someone who would know, namely JT, who says, oh yeah, it happened at State. So <sighs> take his word for it. He would know. It's just bizarre. I wish they had done that for like somebody like that for the media. You know, go into the press box, get a little sugar, sit down and do your work. Jeez. Uh, somebody in the 662 says Dan would possibly be even better in the NFL. No recruiting, more talented players. That's what I'm thinking. If you put Mullen in that situation where all he had to do was think about game planning, that's like a fish in water to me anyway. You take him and out the, of the hole, I got I to gotta, you know, kiss the rear end of eight, a bunch of 18-year-old kids. I think he'd be perfect in that. And the guy who pointed out the authoritarian thing, Dan Mullen is smart enough to not walk into a professional locker room and demand them do like up downs and stuff like that. Like he would adapt. Right. right. Another vote. Of, who, go know, ahead. He did a good job of adapting his offense at Mississippi State at times. You know, his offense with Chris Ralph didn't look like his offense with Tyler Russell, didn't look like his offense year one of Dak versus year two of Dak versus Nick Fitzgerald. He changed things up to, to suit his talent. I think he would he would fit in. Another vote of confidence for yes, he'd be great. Lee and Starkville also says uh, all the free agents would want to play with him because they could kiss his wife every week. <sighs> gotta, gotta have a good looking wife to pull that off. You know, was it in Moneyball? They're like ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Yeah, it's the same thing. Aaron in Gulfport wants the Mullen voice. Now, oh, well, what do you want me to say? You know, I'm just I'm thinking about going to the NFL. You know, me and Dak gonna get back together, putting the band back together. Yeah. Uh, from the 601, I think Mullen should go back to Mississippi State and we could change the name from the Egg Bowl to the Ego Bowl. Mullen versus Kiffin. This radio show, we would have... Man, I could, it would be so good. It would be so good. We, we would have so much to talk about. I mean, no planning either. Just turn the mics on. Hey, so what's up? Yeah. Tell us how you feel and we'll go from there. Jesse Imponitok says he'd be great with Dallas. Stan Ripley said Saban tried and he failed at the NFL level, which he got screwed by his doctors. Dr. Cannell screwed him. Yeah, he should have had Drew Brees. I, I, yeah. I mean, that still wouldn't have worked, though, would it have? Well, I don't know. He, only, he was only there two years. I mean, if, if he had stayed a couple more years, maybe he would have gotten it figured out, especially if he had had Brees, if that had gone the way he wanted it to. You know, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to judge it off of just two seasons. Wayne that said, said, just sorry about that, but Saban's strength is recruiting. So it makes more sense that he would be successful at the college game. Wayne says he would make a horrible coach good at winning games. His team is better than, but never could consistently beat the teams as good or better. That's a recruiting. But in the NFL, he wouldn't have inferior talent. Right. Yeah, it, 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 was not a ta- it wouldn't be a talent issue there. It was it was at Mississippi State, you know, he couldn't beat LSU Alabama consistently because they consistently out recruited him. Jerry and Tupelo thinks he would be like Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll, you know, was obviously a lot more successful in college, but he had he was an NFL head coach before he was a college head coach and had failed miserably with New England. So, yeah. I could see that. And and and, and he was a guy, you know, when Carroll was came became for the Seahawks, there was a lot of oh, his his rah rah attitude will never work in the pros. Well, all that guy's done is made Seattle, you know, one of the best teams of the decade. 
It, well, he, he was fired twice as a head coach. Was he with the Jets, too? I think you're right. Jets and uh, New England, yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe the NFL retread thing Third time's works. the charm. So might give Hugh Jackson another job. I don't think it's ever one particular thing, though. It's just how personalities mesh at different places. Yeah. I agree. I agree. From the 662, Meyer to Dallas and Dan Mullen as OC. Um, no. That'd be deadly coaching minds, but Dan Mullen's not leaving Florida for an OC job. It would be for a head coaching job. We have an unhappy Mississippi State fan. Brian in Charleston says uh, Mullen can adapt his offense. Moorhead can not. Another texture here says maybe he's waiting for the Alabama job. Mullen. Oh, my God. Like that. That'd be Lord. the funniest thing ever. I, I, I would lose my mind. Oh, uh, keep them coming. 601-879-4395. Jerry Jones had some quotes, and we'll look at the playoff picture and uh, look ahead to Sam Pittman's hire at Arkansas. Maybe. Yes, sir. Uh, we'll be right back in Sports Talk Mississippi. Welcome back into Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Friday afternoon. And If Dan Mullen's going to be a coach in the NFL, it may not be Dallas because Jerry Jones doesn't seem to be really high on the college to NFL move. Now, he could be lying because, you know, he's probably done that before. But here's what he had to say about that on that radio show. You know, the one that uh, he got kicked off of because he was cussing too much. Yeah, that radio show. He came back and said, quote, college coaches spend Sundays working. In many cases, they aren't that familiar with the NFL personnel. Now, that's a big deal. You pay a price for somebody to get up to date that hasn't spent the prior months or years in the NFL. He also pointed out that college coaches have the lowest percentage rate of success taking over as NFL head coaches, adding that uh, Jimmy Johnson's first year, he went one in 15. What's dripping in irony about that is the last time Jerry did the college thing and let a guy have full autonomy, basically, they won, what, two Super Bowls? Yeah, and set the stage for a third one, yeah. Funny how yeah. that works, huh? Yeah, Question from the 662. What kind of money does an NFL coach make compared to college? Uh, well, I mean, what's Mullen making right now at, at Florida? Like $5 million? Something like that? Uh, the average salary is seven million in the NFL. That's average. So. Yeah, Gruden um, is making ten a year. Yeah, Jason Garrett, uh, according to an article from last year, is making six a year. McCarthy and Green Bay making six. John Harbaugh seven. Tomlin seven. A little over seven. Andy Reid seven and a half. Rivera was just fired. Uh, 7.75. Sean Payton's at 9. Pete Carroll's at 9. Gruden, one of those things is not like the other. So Gruden is sandwiched in between Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Sean Payton. Hmm. Well, Gruden has won a Super Bowl, to be, to be fair. When his players were in diapers. Well, I'm just saying. You know, there's one 
particular coach out there who was a successful college coach that didn't have anything to do on Sunday this year? Who might that be? Hmm. I forgot. I have a short memory. Yeah. My text auto-delete on my phone. Oh, Urban Meyer, that's who I was thinking of. That's right. That's, that's, I have some medical issues. Uh, yeah. Whoever hires Mike McCarthy, though, is getting the best pro hire of the, seat of the year. That is probably a very fair assessment. Uh, I agree. Just expand on that. Why do you say that? Because he was nothing but successful pretty much in Green Bay. It just kind of wore out its welcome. I mean, kind of wore out its uh, – I guess it's reached its basically its peak and kind of – in the relationship between he and Aaron Rodgers. So, I mean, proven guy in the NFL in a world where the NFL people seem to be taking risks, that seems about as safe as bet as possible. Brian Charleston is a Cowboys fan, and he said he doesn't know any successful NFL coach that would put up with Jerry Jones. <sighs> there are... There, there, there's there's going to be a balance, you know. I mean, Jimmy Johnson did it, and the the question has to become for Jerry. Jerry Jones is the one who has to ask questions of himself. He's the one who has to say, "Do I want to continue to you know micromanage everything and be the spotlight and be the the franchise face, or do I want to win another Super Bowl?" And whatever the answer to that is, is going to determine his next coaching hire and his personnel moves going forward. And whoever the coach is takes over a roster that is to Jerry Jones's credit. You should not be six and seven with that roster that he's given you. No. You can talk about financial decisions. I think they overpaid Zeke. I don't know what they're going to do with Dak's contract now. Uh, I have a feeling that Dak is probably going to regret not signing before the season because they can, even though it's it's complicated. But his capital was higher preseason than it is right now. His negotiating capital. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But the roster itself that Dallas has is one that you can win with. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they have plenty of talent. Talent's not their issue. I, th- I think right now their, their problem is that they have, and this is tough to say for about a pro team, you think you know it's your job, you should be motivated, but they don't seem to have that right now. They're just, they seem to just be sort of going through the motions the past few weeks. Hard to get up to play in that god-awful division. Yeah, well, you would think that's the reason to get up. Like, hey, we can win this division easily. (laughs) Just got to win some games. They just want to make it interesting, I guess. Yeah. We'll look at the playoff picture uh, maybe later on in the show, but I do want to ask these guys and you uh, about Sam Pittman. He's an interesting guy. Still tweeting those yes, sir videos. But he is an SEC West opponent for Ole Miss and Mississippi State, obviously, and he made a hire at defensive coordinator, which may change the way you think about Arkansas moving forward. We'll see. Barry Odom was the hasn't been officially named yet or will be soon, but he will be the defensive coordinator at Arkansas. Does that change the way you think about Sam Pittman, experienced head coach? We'll see. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Welcome into the 4 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. And uh, we'll start this hour with uh, some sad news. Haydad, this was before my time, but I am well aware of the Dome Patrol and who they were. I think their their final year um, as Saints collectively were when I was two years old. So uh, a little bit before my time, but 
as uh, Tim and Tupelo uh, reminded us, uh, Vaughn Johnson, one of the members of the Dome Patrol, uh, passed away uh, yeah. today. Very tough, you know. Two of members of that of that elite group already gone uh, before that, you know, way way before their time with Sam Mills, who died, you know, years ago. Uh, but that was, and I'll challenge any Pittsburgh Steeler fan that wants to come at me on this one, uh, the greatest linebacking core uh, in the history of the NFL. I mean, all four of them made the Pro Bowl one year. Uh, they were just dominant. Unfortunately for them, you know, offensively those teams were a little challenged, and they played at that time played in the same division with Joe Montana and the San Francisco 49ers. So never really, you know, were able to do much in the playoffs. But man, Vaughn Johnson, Sam Mills, Ricky Jackson, and Pat Swilling as good as it gets. These guys had a combined 20 Pro Bowls. Four guys combined 20 Pro Bowls and 11 first-team All-Pro selections when they, they played were, they on incredible. the same football team. They were incredible. I mean, you, you couldn't do anything against them. You drop back to pass, and, and Ricky Jackson and Pat Swilling were going to come get you. You decided to run up the middle, and Vaughn Johnson and, and Sam Mills would snuff that out. Their numbers are, are hard to believe. And just reading about them and looking at it. And yeah. it, you used to look so much more intimidating as a football player back in those days, too. And Vaughn Johnson was the most intimidating one to me. I mean, he 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 was a monster. Just an absolute dominant inside linebacker. And uh, he could do it all. passed away today. So that's Vaughn Johnson of the Dome Patrol. We'll uh, turn it over now. See, I'm adjusting. Not turn the page today. Turning it over now. Shouldn't have said it. Shouldn't have said it. Ah. To uh, some college football news. So coaching search season's going on. We're kind of light on the college football news front. We've got early signing period happening on Wednesday of next week. So we'll cover that for you. But for right now, it's just kind of coaching search stuff. So you've heard on this show, if you've been listening since the hire became official, that Sam Pittman has... An interesting hire at Arkansas. He's got uh, some charisma, some energy, and a terrible, terrible catchphrase that Arkansas needs to stop promoting publicly if they want to avoid further embarrassment. But Sam Pittman, offensive line coach at Georgia, uh, on paper is at least being questioned as a hire in the SEC West. However, he made his defensive coordinator hire today and it's Barry Odom, former head coach at Missouri. He was a candidate for the Memphis job. Memphis decided to actually promote from within. They hired their interim head coach, who I think he was the offensive line coach. So a lot of O-line guys, a lot of moving parts around here. Uh, but he was the defensive coordinator at Memphis. Barry Odom was from 12 to 14. Only one year as a defensive coordinator at Missouri before he was given that head job. Does Sam Pittman, the inexperienced lifer offensive line coach, bringing in a guy like Barry Odom, who, although he was fired, it's not like Missouri was terrible under his watch. They just never took a step above where they were. Does that change the way you look at Sam Pittman and maybe Arkansas, especially in the short term, as we uh, turn our attention to 2020 for Ole Miss and Mississippi State? Um... I don't think it changes anything for the next year or so because Arkansas that roster is in dire dire need. They 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 are they are not a couple of players away. They have a lot of work to do. But that said, Odom is a good coach, and he you know he'll 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 shore that up. And if he once he gets some players in, yeah, then you've got something to talk about. But in reality, 
you know, Arkansas, they're just not they're not going to be there next year. Maybe maybe the year after that they can start turning the corner a little bit, but they they've got a ways to go. I, I would be less surprised by that program just sort of never coming back than I would by, be by them, you know, being a, getting back to like a ten where Petrino had them basically. Maybe they should have just hired him. Who Petrino? Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. Just 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 me. Pull to Rutgers. And at least say, hey, well, this guy won once, so maybe he'll do it again. Scandal be damned. Yeah, I, I just, Petrino to me right now is just sort of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Poison. I mean, the way it ended at Louisville, it just, right now, he, he's just not a guy that, that seems very hireable. He, he, might, he might be a guy who has to take a step back and be a coordinator for a year or two. Maybe in the NFL or something like that. Well, and, how old uh, is he? He may just... Right off into the sunset. No pun intended. It's a good point. Petrino is, he's 58. No, he's got good years ahead of him. Jeffrey and Tupelo says LSU missed on their top tar- target in Tom Herman and hired a guy the players love. Arkansas missed on their top target in Kiffin and hired a guy that the players love. LSU paid top dollar for the best assistance in coaches and coordinators. Looks like Arkansas is trying to do the same. The blueprint is there. Time will tell if it will work. And the thing about Ed Orgeron, though, with when he was hired at LSU, even though it was questionable at best, you knew that he had a reputation of an elite recruiter Mm -hmm. with a track record of it at multiple places, including when his teams were awful at Ole Miss. Yeah, they finished second a lot for players, but they still put together a roster that one back-to-back access bowls, as Rippy likes to point out pretty often. Um, I mean, that was a roster built by Ed Orgeron. So, you, I mean, he, he had been a head coach before, even though it failed. He had the interim thing at Southern Cal that worked out great. He won 10 games with, I mean, this whole thing's full circle. He won 10 games with Lane Kiffin's players at Southern Cal. And, I mean... Does, did Arkansas hire a Joe Brady? Well, that's, that's what they have to do, right? That, I mean, that's the only step that will bring them forward. LSU without Joe Brady this year was going to be more of the same. Nine and three, you know, be competitive because they're talented. But that's what they were going to be. And they went and got a guy like Joe Brady, a 30-year-old that revolutionized and changed their offense. Is Arkansas going to do that? And do they have that in Barry Odom? Do they have LSU's defensive coordinator in Barry Odom? I don't know the answer to that, but it feels like the circumstances are different, aren't they? All right. I don't think so. Brian says it can't get it get any worse at Arkansas. I mean, uh, two and ten, two and ten. Like, can it? <laughs> I mean, I guess it could. They beat. Uh, um, San Jose State, right? Or did they lose that game? No, they lost that game. They beat Colorado State. And... Yeah, they could have very well lost to Mike Bobo's Rams. It was tied in the fourth quarter. It could have gotten worse. I just. I don't think you're doing the LSU model and beating LSU at Arkansas. 
Yeah, but I mean, you gotta try something. Yeah, uh, yes, you do. And um, Chad Morris obviously didn't work. Was that a hire good at the time? I don't remember. Did people praise that hire at the time? Yes, but it was there was definitely a bit of. I mean, he didn't have a winning record at SMU. He didn't exactly turn that uh, that program around or anything, you know. And, and a lot of the, the SMU success they had this year, Spike Dykes is or not Spike Dykes, Sonny Dykes has come in and had a lot of success on the transfer market. So it's not exactly it's not like he just built off of what uh, Chad Morris left him. Um, but that said, I mean Morris was a c- candidate for all three SEC jobs that came open, and he took the. Uh, he took the Arkansas job. I mean, he, he was a candidate at State. I'm sure. I think he was a candidate at Tennessee as well. We have a Southern Miss fan here that says, uh, hey, you could go 0-12 with Ellis Johnson. <laughs> he uh, he called him Alice, though. Either way. Little dig. When you go 0-12, you're getting your name right is not important. You can text the show if you'd like, 601-879-4395. A lot of engagement today. Would love for you to be a part of the show. But C Spire reminds you, do not text and drive. We'd love for you to be a part of the show, but do so safely on this Friday afternoon. The College Football Awards were last night, and I guess I'm so disconnected from it, I didn't realize that we gave two Player of the Year awards and two Defensive Player of the Year awards. Two separate awards. They both went to the same guy, but yeah, that's where we are with the college football awards. We'll react to those next. Get to some of your texts. And a whole lot more coming your way. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Twice he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming. Well I've got me a record player for our anniversary. And uh, first album purchase was a Sinatra album. I mean, if you're going to have a record player, you've got to have a good collection of Sinatra. Hope you're enjoying that on this Friday afternoon in Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky. Got Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey with you. And uh, John from Hurley asks on the uh, Arkansas thing, has Chad Morris ever beaten a Power 5 team as a head coach? Now, I don't know about his record at SMU. He did go 2-10, and 5-7, and seven, and 7-5. and five. But he did not beat a Power 5 team at Arkansas. All of his wins came against Group of 5 opponents. Well, I say all of them. He only beat two Group of 5 opponents, and it was Tulsa and Colorado State. And his other two wins were Eastern Illinois and Portland State of the FCS level. What years was he at uh, Southern, Southern Methodist? 15, 16, and 17. An overall record of fourteen and twenty-two and eight and sixteen in the conference. Power five. We're not, we're not not group of five. Power five. Power five. It's not looking good. No. But by that same token, I mean that's not a, a great example because guys win games who are at small. I mean, who has, has you know had, Hugh Freeze had not beaten a power five team, had he? Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. Norvell has. Uh, that's not. That's not going to work. But I don't know that Napier has, but he's been a hot candidate. So, I mean. <laughs> oh, know. Norvell has. That's for sure. Yeah, we know that for a fact. <laughs> uh, I think he's going to SMU was also a way worse situation when he took over. Yeah. They were coming off of a 1-11 season when he got there. 
So then why didn't it work at Arkansas? Because he stunk? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, he, uh, fantastic was, insight there, Monty. But <laughs> he, 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 was bad, and he was bad. It was a bad situation, yeah. and he wasn't it good was to also, get out of it. It was a situation where they were going from Bielema's offense, which was all ground and pound and, you know, huge offensive linemen, to we want to run this spread, tempo, passing attack. And, I mean, that was going to take some time to do anyway. They just didn't have any talent. I, he obviously wasn't that great of a coach to begin with. And like I've said before, I, I really do think that the addition of Texas A&M has really, really hurt Arkansas because they can't just go into Texas and pluck kids out of there anymore and say, hey, do you want to play in the SEC? Because now kids can do that and stay home. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm making this may be my hot take of the year. I don't know, but I'm saying that the addition of A and M has effic- effectively crippled that program, and I don't know how Arkansas is going to get back because they can't just recruit in state. That the state of Arkansas doesn't pr- present enough players to them. It's not like they're going into Louisiana and getting top kids. They're not getting top kids out of Mississippi. Not getting top kids out of Tennessee. Where do they go? Where do they go for players? I can't tell if this is a Mississippi State fan having fun or somebody that's genuinely curious, but they ask, tell us who Norvell beat again. <laughs> Mike Norvell beat Ole, beat Ole Miss. What was the final, 15-12, to 12, something weird like that? Yeah. I honestly don't remember. Else? Come on, Ruby, that's your job. You're supposed to know these things right off the top of your head. He went 0-3 in bowl games, as we learned yesterday. I remember the game. It was hard to unsee like the what was yeah. going on on the field on both sides, but like I don't remember the final score. I mean, but in his bowl games, he lost by one point to Iowa State and three points to Wake Forest. I mean, he was close. Complete non sequitur, but you brought up Iowa State. Why is Matt Campbell always the name that comes up in big-time coaching searches? He just got a massive extension, but if you look at what he's done at Iowa State, it's been, it's been good. But why is it done before him? Yeah, I mean, sure, but okay. if you're what, Florida what State, years? why is the why is that the first name that comes up? Is oh, we got to go get Matt Campbell. Iowa State, 2013, three and nine, two and ten, three and nine, three and nine. He comes in eight and five, eight and five, and then whatever they are this year, I don't know. He's a really good coach. Really good. He, he he's the kind of guy. He's he's doing it just. He's doing it the way Mullen did it. Basically, everybody knows he'll leave eventually. He's going to wait on the right job. No point in putting yourself in a position where, you know, and maybe it's a good call. I don't know. He is going to wait for a I can't miss here kind of job. They're currently seven and five with the bowl game coming up, the Camping World Bowl against I don't remember. Notre but, Dame. Oh wow. So that's that's an opportunity right there for if he wins that game, everybody's somebody is going to you know, it, he's a guy that if Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma, they'll call him. Lincoln Riley, by the way, is not going to have three consecutive Heisman Trophy winners. No. But he got Jalen Hurts to uh well, it's so funny going back to the preseason and the and the the vicious arguments me and Rippy were having about Burrow and Jalen Hurts. And they're both going to New York. <laughs> well, you knew Hurts was going to have a good year just because well, okay. Wait, Hurts is a finalist? Yes, he is. Yeah. Hmm. It's Hurts Fields, Burrow, and Young. Chase Young. Justin Fields has thrown one interception this season. Yeah, he's pretty good. I like Fromm, but I'm pretty sure Kirby Smart made the wrong choice. <laughs> and Herschel's having fun. 
having some fun on this Friday. He said, Old Miss, didn't you say Power Five? Old Miss isn't uh-huh. synonymous with power. That's oh. Thanks, Herschel. Glad you're uh, glad you're listening on Friday. Gotta get the digs in when you can, I guess. Speaking of Joe Burrow, he won both of the Player of the Year awards last night because apparently we have to give out two of them, the Maxwell and the Walter Camp. Coach of the Year went to Ed Orgeron last night. Not a real surprise to anybody. Hard to argue it, but, you know, kind of knew it was coming. LSU had a clean sweep last night of all the players that they had nominated. Grant Delpit won the Jim Thorpe Award for the best defensive back. Joe Burrow, if he won the Player of the Year, you can imagine... He won the Davey O'Brien for the best quarterback. Other SEC players that won awards last night. Hot Rod Rodrigo Blankenship won the Groza Award for the best kicker. He's from Georgia. Jamar Chase won the Bolitnikoff for the best wide receiver. He's from LSU. Worth noting that uh, Harrison Bryant, the Florida Atlantic tight end, uh, former Kiffin product, won the Mackey Award for uh, the best tight end. Uh, Max Duffy from Kentucky won the Ray Guy. That's the punter. And that and Joe Brady won the Assistant of the Year. That's the Broyles Award. So that's it from the SEC last night. I don't think Delpit's the best DB on his own team. Delpit's really good, but he's not as good as Stingley is. Jonathan Taylor was the best running back. I watched a, a good bit of him and J.K. Dobbins. And I know mm-hmm. Dobbins' team is better, but... If you had to pick one of the two, I think I'd go with Dobbins, as crazy as that sounds. You can't really go wrong. Dobbins, no. They're, they're a little different kind of players, too. Did you guys watch or even pay attention to this? I mean, there's there's two Defensive Player of the Year awards as well. Chase Young won them both. Yeah, not really. I didn't pay attention to any of this. I knew it was going on because I was following it on Twitter, but no, I was not uh, not dealing with that last night. I don't know why this is funny to me. Justin Herbert won the academic Heisman. Well, you know, he's a smart kid. So close as he's ever going to get to an actual Heisman, though. What NFL team is he going to wreck? That's going to be the most exciting part of next year's draft. He's a polarizing prospect. He, he's this year's Daniel Jones, Josh Allen. It seems like the last few years we've had this quarterback that everybody's convinced is not going to be good. Now, Allen and Jones have so far... You know, sort of beating that a little bit. I don't know. I, I haven't really kept that with Jones, but I know that Allen has been pretty good, and the Bills are pretty good. Um, so we'll see. But Herbert's that guy this year for sure. He's the guy that you're, you're not sure if you want your team to draft him. He probably would have been the number one pick last year. Yes, yes. Kids, when they when somebody tells you, "Hey, you're going to be the number one pick," go. Just go. You're never. You can't do better. Just go. Yeah, I see people suggest that Alabama's going to have a bunch of first-round prospects come back to school. I'll believe that when I see it. I mean, I would think two is gone for sure, and then all three of those receivers are probably gone. When you have people wax poetic about, oh, man, they're just such good friends, and they just want to play together, and because of injuries, they've never really had that chance, and there's unfinished business at Alabama. Give me a break. Dylan Moses Moses is going to go. He's probably tired of getting injured for free. Um, Yeah, I mean, I just don't see that, no. The Heisman is this weekend. There's some props. Uh, Some of them are kind of funny. We'll uh, take a look at those next. Uh, I think it's quite obvious to everybody that Joe Burrow is going to win the thing. I did the math yesterday. If you put $6,000 on Joe Burrow to win the Heisman 
you would win 24. It's a safe bet. You could buy half of a nice steak dinner, I guess. But yeah, you got to put up six grand to win 24 for Joe Burrow in the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night. I'm putting up six million. How much does that get? Uh, 200 and... No. $2,400? It's not a great return on investment. Maybe I won't do it. You cannot lose, though. So That's true. There you is... We'll find out how uh, how much money some of these sharps actually have in the bank. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Keep texting us 601-879-4395. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Uh, this happens every so often. Regular listener of the show, Jeff accidentally texting presumably his wife or somebody with his food order. Well, what's, what's, what's on the menu tonight? He wants a large pepperoni pizza with extra cheese. Ooh. So we'll send that to you in Carrollton there, Jeff. Hey, Dad's on his way. I, I gave up the pizza game. No more. No more. Oh, I didn't even make that connection when I said that. No, now he's really on his way. <laughs> I'll, ma- if I, I'm, I'll make it from scratch for you, man. Jason disagrees with uh, Hey Dad's earlier assessment. He says A&M did not cripple Arkansas. What a load of hot garbage, he says. Plenty of recruits in Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas and West Tennessee for them. They've just not had the staff worth anything since Petrino's wreck. Well, Morris did recruit okay. Like, cripple may be a little strong, but to uh, deny it hurt is probably disingenuous. Or the, that it didn't hurt. I don't even know what I, I think I just triple negative. But the problem is, Jason, there really aren't plenty of recruits in Arkansas. Mississippi is so much more fertile recruiting-wise than Arkansas. And our participation rate in high school football is higher than theirs, too. But on top of that, we produce more talent. The state of Arkansas does not give them enough in-state talent to build a nucleus from. Not a good enough one to compete in the SEC anyway. That is correct. We also get a question from the 601 for you, Hey Dad. When do you think Kylan Hill comes off the board? Third round? Third, yeah, third, fourth round, something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, running backs aren't the premium that they used to be unless you're just an elite, elite talent, which I don't. I mean, you think about the top running backs in, in this, you know, Jonathan Taylor, uh, is, I think Dobbins is finally, he'll come out. I mean, even those guys. Aren't going to be you know top ten picks. Who was the first pick last year? It was Josh, Josh Jacobs, right? Twenty four. So yeah, third, fourth round, something like that. He, he needs he needs to do well in some workouts. He needs to show a little more speed. I think. I don't know what he's going to run, but if he runs between four five and four six, that's going to boost him up a lot. And if you're out there thinking, well, if, if he's a fourth round pick, why would he leave? That's just where running backs are now. And and as Haydad said a few times this week. It, you have only so many hits as a running back, and your longevity in the NFL is just so short; it doesn't exist almost. So, if, your, most your most uh, draft picks past the third round will sign a four-year deal in the two point four to two point nine million dollar range with a uh, if a fourth-round pick uh, signing bonus between four and six hundred thousand. Yes. Bottom line, though, he has as good a shot at any as being a two-contract guy. Exactly, it's He'll, all about the second contract. He'll be on a roster, and he'll be a good NFL back for whatever his shelf life is, which seems to be five to eight years if you have a good career as a running back nowadays. Mm-hmm. And he's you know versatile enough. He can catch the ball. 
you know, he could, I, I honestly think he could be a guy that, you know, could make an impact a little bit on special teams in the return game. I thought he could have done that at State his freshman year, uh, you know, because he, he has a lot of elusiveness. He can move. So I, I think he can be a versatile player for somebody at the next level. Which makes what Frank Gore does just absurd. He's a freak of nature. It doesn't count. He's the outlier. Oh, yeah, no, no kidding by a long shot. Yeah. Text here from the 662, Arkansas cannot hold Mississippi's jockstrap in high school football. And Tim and Corinth says, as someone who spent a year of high school in Arkansas, there's more focus on basketball and track there uh, than there is on football. Yeah, that's kind of their problem. I mean, that's why my theory on the growing television availability in college football contributing to Programs like Nebraska and even Tennessee, for example, not being nationally competitive. I think there is a direct correlation to exposure, the growing availability of games on television, and the lack of recruiting ability of a place like Nebraska. Because the state itself does not produce any high school talent. And 20 years ago, you used to have to go to Nebraska for whatever reason to go get seen to go get put in the NFL. And now it's not that way. You can go to any school in the SEC, Vanderbilt included, and get seen by more people television-wise than Nebraska. So you don't have to go four or five states over to go to a place that's going to send you to the NFL. And now you've got much stronger scholarship restrictions on how many you can give out. I mean, what they call it, the Houston nut rule, because he had a class one year that was almost 40 players. You can't do that anymore. So the talent's more dispersed, and you don't have to go to a national brand like Nebraska in the middle of nowhere to get your exposure and get moved on to the NFL. It's just so much more accessible for a recruit to be seen by NFL people and just get eyeballs and have the the best facilities at a lot of places now. And it hurts a school like Nebraska. It'll hurt a school like Arkansas that does not have enough players within their own state to build a competitive roster. Even with two SEC schools in Mississippi, the talent is available to start a nucleus to build your rosters. You do have to recruit elsewhere. I mean, make no mistake, and you have to evaluate well. But this state produces for Ole Miss and Mississippi State more than Nebraska does for the University of Nebraska, more than Arkansas does for the University of Arkansas, more than Tennessee does, with the exception of Memphis, which is six hours away from Knoxville, for Tennessee. In the last three years in the state of Arkansas, they've had eight four-star players combined. That's brutal. Eight, eight combined. And you think about, you know, the state of Mississippi, like last year, how many did Mississippi have? I think off the top of my head, I think it was close to 15. This year, there's there's only five, but still, that's three in two years. That's three times the, the state of Arkansas has had. And then where do those kids go? For the most part, not Arkansas. You know, just I'm I'm trying to pull it up here. In 2018, there were two kids, both quarterbacks. One went to Baylor, the other went to Arkansas. He's already left football. Connor Nolan. He's concentrating on baseball. Uh, 2020 class. Our 2019 class, they had two. I'm sorry, they had that was their big year in the state. They had four four-star kids. They got two of them: Traylon Burks and Hudson Henry. One went to uh, Oklahoma. The other one went to uh, 
to Ole Miss. And then this year, there's, I think there's just two. Yeah, two four-star kids, and neither one of them are committed to Arkansas. Chris Morris is committed to Texas A&M. I think he's visiting Ole Miss pretty soon. And Jacoby Criswell, who's a quarterback they all think that they would like to get at Arkansas, but he's committed to, of all places, North Carolina. Phil Longo strikes again. <laughs> how, uh, I mean, there's how, just, how there's just not that? any talent in that state. It's just eight four-star kids in three years is incredible. There are some high school teams in the South that will have that many on their roster. Have that many, like, at one position on their roster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just insane. This one's for you, Rippy, uh, from the 985. Houston Nutt, is he a great coach or a great recruiter? Jeff on I-55. <laughs> Neither. I mean, he coasted off. Let's not pretend like he didn't coast off of uh, Ed Orgeron's talent. I think he was a good coach for a while. I mean, he won at Arkansas. They went to an SEC championship game. Like, he was fine, but, like, his windows passed him by. Like, I don't think you can give kids speeches about going to Baghdad and him wanting you in your, or you wanting him in your foxhole type of deal. Like, I think, I think this game has passed Houston nut by, but at the time he was a decent coach. I mean, he did take Bull Miss to what is the equivalent of two access bowls. Remember, 50 years. 50. 50. 50. I still think, and nobody agrees with me, I still think the funniest Houston nut thing was when after they won a cotton bowl and his daughter is in the press conference calling all of the media around her negative Nancy's and then asks him about their uniform selection. And to his credit, he shut it down, but I mean, that's insane. I'm sure he had nothing to do with that because he doesn't read the media. His freshmen do and just tells him what they, what they say. Isn't that the best part about the whole thing? Yeah. His 18 year old freshman is buying subscriptions to message boards. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Totally. I don't read your stuff. My players do and tell me what you say. <laughs> Thanks, Houston. Uh, interesting question. Is Cam Akers a bust? I don't no. think so. Someone pointed out on the text line yesterday when I posed the – I think I said it as a statement, but I was more asking it inquisit- like as a question about Kyle O'Neill having a better career of Cam Akers. And I think someone took offense to it and put the side-by-side stats. He's had a, de- he's had a productive college career. It's just been a dumpster fire of a program around him. There's no way in 20 – what he committed in the winter of 16, right? Right. There's no way he could have envisioned Florida State being what it is today. Not in his wildest dreams. Not possible. Jimbo was still there. They got better up front this year. But going into this season, he had five offensive linemen in front of him that were all ranked 550 or worse in college football, in the pro football focus grades for college offensive linemen. That means Florida State's best offensive linemen had 549 offensive linemen in college football better than him. They had two in the 800s when there was only just over 800 in the sport. I mean, it was an abysmal offensive line. He'll end up getting drafted by somebody. He'll test really well and uh, probably be a successful, potentially productive NFL running back. He's certainly talented, just terrible situation. More coming up at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. As we trim the tree, how much fun it's gonna be today. One more time with you in the four o'clock hour at Sports Talk Mississippi, and we'll get this segment started with a question for Hey Dad from Michael. Not me, but for Michael. It's a common name. It's a good name, power name. Something like that. 
I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Michael says, Joe Moorhead, to me, has made Mississippi State soft. Do you see this? They didn't seem as physical as they were before he arrived under Dan Mullen. Well, I mean, last year, that's definitely not the case. That defense would smack you, no question about it. And offensively, I mean, they were the same power-running team they were before. This year, you can sort of make that argument offensively a little bit, but I think you know, I think that's more because Nick Fitzgerald is gone. He was the most physical guy on that offense. Defensively, I mean, it's tough to, to judge because three of your your most your best guys weren't out there. So you know, it may not be lack of physicality, it's just guys out of position and and you know things like that. So I thought when State you know had the full defense out there against Arkansas, against Ole Miss, and even against uh, Kentucky. I'm sorry, uh, against uh, Tennessee and, and then against Kentucky. They, they they were fine. It wasn't the problem. So I do think that they, you know, yeah, defense look... didn't lose in Knoxville that day. Right, right, right. So I, I, I this has been like a, a common complaint about the strength and conditioning. You know, need to find a new coach. They went, they sort of lowballed there on that guy. But that said, I, I, I think they they might want to make a change. But it feels like a convenient kind of thing that's sort of putting it off on there. The S S and C coach always kind of becomes a scapegoat for when a team doesn't win games. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's one of the first things, yeah. And then when the new one comes in, man, they're working harder than they ever have before. I'm telling you, if, if teams would just change their strength and conditioning coach every year, by like year five, they would all be Olympic weightlifters. <laughs> like those uh, West German women back in the Olympics. Right, right. Did you see Russia? Probably less facial hair on the football team, but still. <laughs> I think Russia like is full-on about to get banned from the Olympics because of that very thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they, no, they've already been banned. Oh, it's it's oh, done. They, like they're they yeah. will not. Ooh. All that boat race was missing was me uncovering some kind of doping scandal. <laughs> Where were you on that? I don't know. They were putting they were, they were putting you know a little juice in the gasoline. They, Nos. They were using Nos. <laughs> you ain't cheating. You ain't trying, man. We got kicked out of a. Flag, an intramural flag football league. And we, like our dorm hall just did one. You know, that was before rush happened or anything. And like the league started our first day on campus. So we just did all the guys on our dorm hall. And this kid named Joe tied his belt instead of like clipping it so it'll get ripped off when your flag gets pulled. And he's this, he was from Boston. And so he had this accent and he was like pasty white and, and you know, bigger guy, heavy set guy. And he had the most unbelievable touchdown you've ever seen in intramural flag football. Like he's doing spin moves and stuff. Turns out he tied his belt to his waist so nobody was able to pull his belt out. We got kicked out Smart. of the intramural league. Smart. Hey, I want to give a shout out here. And I, I would normally save this for for Monday for winners and losers, but this guy deserves some credit right now. I'm talking about Matt Porter. Who is Matt Porter? He's the kid who bet fifty bucks on Joe Burrow to win the Heisman back in August at 200 to 1. We were talking about odds earlier about what they are now. He got Burrow at 200 to 1. He's got a party Saturday night planned because he's going to win $10,000. And he he neglected or declined a series of uh buyouts buy throughout yeah, the year. Yeah, they, they tried to buy him out. I think they got him up to like 8,000 and he finally he just said no, I'm going to ride it out and smart kid. Oh, let man. it ride and it worked out. He's going to take home 10k. Minus $50 bet, man. 25,000 is his That's a hell of a swing from 200 to 1 to minus (laughs) 25,000. People talk about how it was the greatest individual season as a quarterback in SEC history. Do you buy it? 
it's up there. I mean, Tebow's Heisman year, where I think he scored 50 touchdowns, but he had like 20 of them on the ground. Werfel's uh, Heisman year, Cam Newton. I mean, it's Cam tough. 2010 the, the, was absurd. Yeah, I mean, he would he Burrow is. I, I, I gotta be careful here when I talk about Burrow, you know, but he's very, 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 very good, right? But you could plug other quarterbacks in there, and I think they would still have big numbers and be really good. Cam Newton was by himself. That Auburn team was not good. They were eight and five the year before. They were eight and five the year after. He he drugged that team to a national title. Yeah, that team, I, I uh, might go Cam Newton. Didn't State play that team in a, per, fa- a fairly low scoring and close game very early in the year that season? Two, I think I remember week, that. Yeah, week two they lost seventeen to fourteen, and uh, yeah had had some opportunities in that game to to take the lead or to tie. That was before it really started to click for for Auburn and uh, and Cam Newton that year. That's a good that's a good off season topic though. Best best season by a player in SEC history for I'll, a quarterback. Uh, I'll save that one for <laughs> write it down. Late July. I'm going to go see Joe Moorhead now. You guys have have a good rest of the show. Hey, that's off to bowl practice availability. You can find that uh, on the website, supertalk.fm. I, uh, as he usually does, will probably have some kind of Periscope feed going for you. Absolutely. On, at Sports Talk Miss. At Sports Talk Miss on Twitter. Uh, you can find it there. So, hey, that's off, but we'll continue on with uh, some picks. we got to get to picks today. And Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, is trying to strong-arm the SEC. And guess what? It's not going to work. I'll tell you what he's trying to do and why the SEC will not budge. Coming up next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. It's great to be with you on this Friday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi. I'm Michael Borky. All by myself for the rest of the 5 o'clock hour. Not really, though. I have you with me, and I'm really glad that I do. But uh, going to level with you. It's tough hosting by myself and also running the board. So just bear with me a little bit. If you're texting into the show, I will get to your text. I promise it's just going to take me a little bit. But I'm really glad that you're with me. And we're going to get through this together. And uh, just thankful uh, for you being a part of the show today. A ton of engagement on the text line. Uh, A lot of questions, comments. We started talking the show today. If you're just joining us, by the way. uh, We started with a campaign. Uh, to bring minor league hockey back to uh, to Mississippi. It was universally loved, by the way. Didn't get a single uh, stick to sports, even though uh, we were talking about sports. Believe it or not, that's actually happened to us before. But it is good to be with you. And uh, got to get to some picks right now, though. Picks, of course, every Friday brought to you by the Sportsbook at Tom Out Lounge, Pearl River Resort, Golden Moon Casino. Uh, if you want a guy's weekend, a getaway to watch, especially now that uh, the NFL season is really heating up, You've got great golf there. Some pretty good weather coming up this weekend, by the way. Mid-60s coming your way. Great time to go play some really good golf at the Dancing Rabbit. Get a massage for the missus. Play some bets on some NFL games. I'm going to give you some picks, by the way. These are going to be winners. I'm just telling you right now. Great food, great drinks. Put some money on some games. Play the uh, slots if you want to. There's card games, golf. Great place. Go hang out. Have a guy's weekend at the Pearl River Resort. These picks are brought to you by them. And I'm going to give you a handful of them in the NFL. And I'm going to start with Rams-Cowboys. A game that Dallas really needs to have. I know that L.A. bounced back last week. Looked pretty good in their win 
Oh, well, last couple of weeks, actually. You know, they dominated Arizona a couple weeks ago. I think that was a 35-7 to final score. And then they turn around and beat Seattle. It was at home, but they beat Seattle pretty convincingly. So the Rams may be trending in the direction that we all kind of thought they were going to be with Sean McVay and Jared Goff and others. Great defensive line. Maybe starting to get healthy. The game is in Dallas. They're a one-and-a-half-point road favorite in the game. And I think I'm going to take L.A. There's a lot of issues with Dallas right now. I mean, the owner slash GM is answering questions about job security every day. I mean, they've gone past the point of, will Jason Garrett be back? And they have transitioned into talking about why he's not going to hire a coach from the college ranks. I mean, that's how far gone Jason Garrett is in Dallas. I think it's a distracted team. I think it's a football team that uh, only looks good in garbage time. They're talented. They're very talented. But coaching is going to take over. The hotter team is going to take over. And it's a road underdog. I don't care. The Rams, minus one and a half in Dallas. Some serious issues in Dallas, but they will be rectified because a coaching change is coming. And as we've talked about earlier in the show, the roster in Dallas is way too good to be this bad. And if the right hire is made, they'll be contenders in one year's time. But right now, I'm not buying it. Give me the Rams, minus one and a half. I think the marquee game of the weekend, though, going on to my next pick, Texans and Titans. Can't believe this game didn't get flexed into an afternoon or a night slot, but at noon on CBS, Texans-Titans. Suddenly the Titans are the hottest team in the NFL. Ryan Tannehill is playing really good football. The move away from Marcus Mariota to Tannehill was a very good one. I think he's actually not playing above his means. You see that happen with Ryan Fitzpatrick, for example, for a few games, he'll play above his head, come back down to earth. I don't think it's the same way with Tannehill. I think Ryan Tannehill is now actually playing to the level that people thought he would because he has a complement of talent around him that you can win games with. Former Ole Miss receiver A.J. Brown has been very, very good as a rookie. Derrick Henry is just dominant. They're pretty good on the offensive line, and they're the hottest team in the NFL. They have wins over the Chiefs, Jags, in Indianapolis in convincing fashion, in Oakland, in very convincing fashion. I love the Titans right now. I'm terrified as a Saints fan of going to Nashville here soon. Don't like the way the Texans have played lately, so I'm going to take the Titans. I'm going to take the three points at home with Tennessee, the hotter football team, the better football team right now. really like Ryan Tannehill. I'm going to take the Titans minus the three points. Interesting game in Denver for my next pick. As I mentioned yesterday, if you were listening to the show, the funniest storyline in football to me. So Drew Locke, the former Missouri quarterback, is now the starter in Denver. Played really well last week. Completed over 80% of his passes for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Really good start to his NFL career. Drew Locke is taking his Denver Broncos to Kansas City. The Kansas City Chiefs are owned and operated by Drew Locke's ex-girlfriend's father. Uh, I just love that storyline. They're 10-point underdogs. It's a really good defense. Drew Locke is playing well. Not sold on Kansas City. I'm going to take the 10 points on the road with Denver. A good defense. A quarterback who still doesn't really have film out on him yet. I know Kansas City's won three straight, including a win in New England. But if you're going to give me that defense and 10 points, I'm going to take that defense 
and 10 points and uh, take the uh, Denver Broncos on the road at Kansas City. And finally, my last pick for you, uh, NFL weekend is going to be, let's see, I've got a a choice between two that I have picked for myself. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings minus one and a half in San Diego slash Minnesota West because it'll be like a home game for the Vikings. I think that's going to be a dangerous, dangerous wild card team. I know they lost in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, but I think the Vikings are playing better football right now. It is not a game that's on prime time, which has uh, not been Kirk Cousins' strong point. I have a feeling this game's going to get ugly. I'm talking Vikings dominating game. Take the over on that over under 45 as well. But that's my final NFL pick for you. Minnesota minus one and a half. I think I said San Diego. I don't mean San Diego. I mean Los Angeles. The Chargers should be in San Diego, but that's a uh, conversation for a different day. So there are your NFL picks. Those are brought to you by the Pearl River Resort, Golden Moon Casino Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Uh, Take those to the bank, buddy, because those are going to be winners this weekend. I'm loving my NFL picks. I left out the Bears Green Bay. If you want to add another one in there, I'm going to take the four points with Chicago in Green Bay. The Saints really need the Packers to lose that game to get above the uh, um, wild card slot in the NFC. So if you're looking at the playoff picture right now, the NFC is uh, just fascinating because the, the Cowboys, when they win their division, because they are going to win their division, even though they're going to be below 500, there is a potential that the Dallas Cowboys will have to see either Green Bay, New Orleans, or San Francisco, or Seattle. I mean, that's going to happen. It's going to be one of those four teams, more likely Green Bay, New Orleans, or Seattle. All of those teams are 10-3 and three right now, going to Dallas for the wild card game. I mean, that's just brutal. So right now, San Francisco holds the one seed in the NFC. The Saints need them to lose a couple of games. Probably not going to happen. I think the best they're going to be able to do is get that two seed away from Green Bay. Need the Packers to lose somewhere along the way. Need to avoid getting out of that hosting spot because it's very possible with Seattle being as good as they are. Need the Packers to lose to the Bears. It's not a wishful thinking pick. I think Chicago, if you're getting Chicago with four points, they've been playing better lately. Uh, I'm going to take that in Green Bay. So there are your NFL picks for your weekend. We'll do the Saints, uh, Saints Colts on Monday for Monday Night Football. Really important game for New Orleans, a bounce back game. The Colts are kind of banged up now, not playing very well. Pretty big line in that game, but we'll pick that one on Monday. Obviously, very important for New Orleans. A few of your texts I'll get to as uh, we continue on this Friday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi. If you want to be a part of the show, here's how you do it. 601-879-4395. Josh in Tupelo. You say, not sure if you saw, but Miles Battle has withdrawn from the transfer portal and will stay at Ole Miss. And, I mean, what a remarkable turnaround, right? Um, You had Grant Tisdale in the portal. It was presumed that Matt Corral was going to leave. You had Demarcus Gregory, a former four-star wide receiver in the portal. Miles Battle, former four-star wide receiver in the portal. You had an offensive identity in Oxford that was literally running people off. 
and you hire Lane Kiffin, and everybody's back on board. So, yeah, did see that. Miles Battle out of the portal. Uh, wasn't exactly productive last year, but the talent is absolutely there. Get to more of your texts next, as well as this Larry Scott story, why he's trying to strong-arm the SEC and why it will not work. It's Sports Talk Mississippi and the Renaissance Bank Studio. Nuts roasting Welcome back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky riding solo with you for the rest of the day on this Friday afternoon. It's great to be with you. I've said that a bunch today, but it's true. It's great to be with you. Holiday season playing Christmas music. Feels really good right now. Glad you're with me. Text from the 601 here says, Careful with the Titans pick. Derrick Henry is out. Turns out that is not uh, the case. As of yesterday, he still is listed as questionable, but Derrick Henry has missed the last three practices, but he still says that he will be ready to go. He said, quote, When Sunday comes, I'll be ready to go. So he's missed a few practices this week, still battling that hamstring situation. Uh, And he also continued to say, as long as I'm in meetings and watching film and getting a little bit of work, I think I'll be fine. It's football. You're going to have injuries and things like that are going to come up. You just have to play through them. You have to be tough and have a great mentality, especially the situation we're in. I want to help my team finish. So, yeah, Derrick Henry uh, certainly sounds like he's going to play. And if he does, I really love the Titans in this game. Jim from Caledonia says he's late to this topic, but Dallas needs a coach that's well-respected and will say no to Jerry Jones. I mean, that that's... We talked about it, I think, on Monday. There is no higher-profile coaching search in sports than the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. There is not one, not a higher-profile open coaching job, and that job is coming open. Jason Garrett will not be the head coach of the Cowboys next year. I just I don't believe it. The problem is, if you want to go get a respected coach, I mean, Jerry Jones still is the boss. He's the GM. He's the owner. And correct me if I'm wrong, he does not strike me as the kind of guy that would put up with a coach that's defiant. Now, there's a difference between standing up for yourself and trying to do what's right and being defiant, but... A, uh, a gray area, and I just I don't know if he's the type of guy that would put up with that. And I don't know if a well-respected coach is going to want to go into a situation where his general manager slash owner is doing radio interviews every single day talking about your job and who he's going to hire next and getting literally kicked off of the air for cussing too much. I mean, it's the most high-profile job, but it's not an easy one. Not an easy one at all. David says you can't say no to that expletive. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think he would allow it. And that's what makes this search so fascinating. Would a guy like Urban Meyer want to step into a place where he's got this loudmouth owner questioning every decision he has on local radio? I just, I don't know. I don't know. Joe in Oxford says he thinks he's wrong about Burrow and any decent quarterback throwing up similar numbers in LSU's system. He has an ability to read defenses, scramble, a quick release, and anticipate his wide receivers as very unique to him and his work ethic and talent. Also, his competitiveness is next level as well as his leadership. Yeah, I think you're responding to either 
uh, Hey Dad or, or Rippy, who are no longer with me this afternoon. That's the big question with LSU moving forward, right? Is is this sustainable? I mean, they're already paying Buku money to coordinators, Dave Aranda specifically. Dave Aranda was about to take a head coaching job at UNLV for less money. That's how much he's making. Um, but it's the offense that's the question. Joe Brady is obviously very good at what he does. There's a reason at his age he was doing what he did with Sean Payton and the Saints. But I agree with you, Joe. I think Joe Burrow is more than just Joe Brady's system and LSU talent. I know he didn't have a great season last year, but he was Mr. Football and Mr. Basketball in Ohio. And the only reason why he transferred away from Ohio State is because a guy that broke school records in passing was ahead of him. This little engine that could story with Joe Burrow is a bit ridiculous. I mean, you've got this narrative out there that nobody believed in Joe Burrow, and he came out of nowhere. He was Mr. Football in the state of Ohio. One of the best football-producing factories in the country. He went to Ohio freaking state. What are you talking about? Nobody believed in him. I think it's a joke, and you hear it too much. You saw it around the awards last night. Can you believe Joe Burrow... From where he was to where he is now, yeah. I can believe that a quarterback was a highly rated recruit. That was Mr. Football in a great state that went to one of the marquee programs in all of college football and transferred to another one of the marquee programs in all of college football, became a really good quarterback. Yeah, I I can believe that. just pushing this narrative with LSU that they're the little engine that could that nobody believed in when it should be a college football blue blood and yeah Joe I'm with you I think Joe Burrow's talent is exceptional and when he's gone I don't know if their current quarterback situation can emulate this kind of success and now I mean how many programs in the country can emulate this kind of success with their backup quarterback but the point is LSU still had some close games this year. I know they're undefeated. It's a great run. But without Joe Burrow, if all things are created equal, without Joe Burrow and just an average quarterback running the same system, they have a couple of losses at best this year. So what do they do without him? Do they explore the transfer portal? It's very possible. It's a great player. Somebody from the 270 says, you sound very jealous. Uh, No, I I don't, I mean, do you hear very well? That's not jealousy. That's pointing out a false narrative in the media. If that's jealousy, then whatever. I would just look up the definition of the word. I think the kid's incredible. I think pretending like he wasn't incredible is disingenuous. That's calling out hypocrisy, not jealousy. But, you know, I appreciate you listening and, and texting, but... Um, come at me with, with something better than that. Jeff asked, do I think the New York Giants will make a coaching change? Uh, that's a good question. Um, they probably should. I mean, I think the franchise needs a complete and total reset. You're supposed to do that when you sit your... 
potentially Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer. When you sit your Hall of Fame quarterback in favor for the rookie you just drafted, but they need an entire franchise reset. They need it in the front office. They need it at coach. They just got it at quarterback. And Eli Manning will be playing his, presumably starting his last game, at least as a giant, coming up on Sunday against the Dolphins. You know, hopefully for his sake, he can get a win to get back to a 500 career record. And what a better team to, to play in your send-off game than the Miami Dolphins, who are just terrible. But the franchise needs a complete and total reset. It's crazy how bad New York sports are, save the Yankees. I mean, the Giants are a mess. The Jets are a mess. I guess they're getting a little bit better. And, and Darnold looks like he's for real, but they're still a mess. Football's no good. The Knicks need to get sold like 10 years ago. They're still an embarrassment. Steve Kerr called them one of the marquee franchises in the league. Well, yeah, maybe when you were a toddler, but they haven't been in my lifetime. They're terrible. The Brooklyn Nets have Kevin Durant, but he's coming off of Achilles, an Achilles injury, and Kyrie Irving is losing his mind. So they're not a basketball story. They're a, oh, wow, he's a crazy person story. I mean, New York sports outside of the Yankees is just miserable. And it's supposed to be the best sports market in the world that attracts all these players and everybody wants to go play in New York. Well, it's been quite some time since somebody not named the Yankees has been good in the city of New York. And then they keep telling you that small markets you can't have success in. Well, look at New Orleans. Memphis basketball for a while, the the Grizzlies had more success in a four-year run than the New York Knicks have had in two decades. So, thanks for being a part of the show with me on this Friday afternoon. I've been teasing this a few times. I will get to it next. Larry Scott, coming after the SEC. He's the commissioner of the Pac-12. We'll see if it works. I'll tell you what he said, why the SEC does not need to budge, even if it means we don't expand the playoff. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. This time every single year, college football playoff expansion is a conversation that we have. We enjoy having it. You seem to to like it. Everybody's got their thoughts on what the playoffs should do, how many teams should be in it, so on and so forth. Larry Scott, the commissioner of the Pac-12, wants expansion because, well... If you continue to get left out of the college football playoff, of course you do. And the Pac-12 continues to not be a great league. It was very top-heavy this year, and they kind of ate their own. But they're left out of the college football playoff. Tends to happen to them. He's trying to strong-arm the SEC. And he's not the only one trying to do this. But he said in a recent interview that The Pac-12 would support expansion of the college football playoff only if it meant guaranteeing spots for the champions of each of the Power Five conferences. That's something that we advocate here that's not abnormal. The only way an expansion is getting done is if everybody gets access because money drives college football. But the 
important part and what he's trying to do here is he said he would like to see more consistency among the conferences and how they schedule if the playoff playoff format is going to change. He said, quote, this year to be the one of the five leagues that doesn't have a team in it, that's harmful to our positioning, our brand, and everything we've got. First and foremost, we've got to get better, and we're engaged in, is there going to be a better mousetrap moving forward? He continued on to have a lot of coach speak, but the important data point that he brings to the table in his rambling is that he wants each conference to require its members to play at least 10 games against Power 5 competition. And he also mentions that the Pac-12 plays nine conference games. So that's the only way that he would go about this. As the commissioner of the Pac-12, the only way that he would support it, he would approve expansion, is if the SEC changed its scheduling model. Right now, the SEC plays eight conference games, and the league also requires its member schools to play one Power 5 opponent. That's how it's currently set up. He's not the only one. Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, wants the same thing. He wants everybody to play the same amount of conference games, even though, and of course they ignore this detail, not every conference is created equal. I like to use this stat. It's funny to me. When the Pac-12, believe it or not, when the Pac-12 decided to expand their conference schedule, To make every member school play nine conference games, the league's strength of schedule went down. I'm not kidding. When the Pac-12 forced their schools to play more conference games, their strength of schedule went down. The SEC, with one fewer conference game, strength of schedule is higher than that of the Pac-12s. And the SEC, as you know, has no problem at all getting teams into the college football playoff. Craig Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, has often said that, you know, four is fine. It's giving us our intended result. I don't like four personally as a consumer. I would like more meaningful football. But if you're the commissioner of the SEC and guys like Bob Bowlesby and guys like Larry Scott want to try to strong arm your league and to adding an additional conference game to make things, quote, fair, even though the SEC with eight conference games, objectively, not with my eyes, even though I can tell with my eyes as well, but data and statistics tell you that SEC schedules are tougher than that of the Pac-12, Greg Sankey's going to kick his feet up, sit back, and laugh at these clowns. That's what he should do. Larry Scott's not going to tell us here in the SEC what to do because there's no problem here. I would like expansion. Most of you probably would like it. But the SEC in its current form has no problem getting teams into bowl games, has no problem getting people to watch the games here, and has no problem getting teams in the college football playoff. So they can kick and scream and carry on if they want to. That's what they're doing. That's what they've done. It's not going to work, though. And I know there's mixed feelings about Greg Sankey here in the state of Mississippi, but this is the way he handles this kind of stuff is perfection. Because he says what I just said, really, a little bit more diplomatically, but he says straight up, we get in the playoff. We don't have attendance issues. The SEC on CBS had a ratings record this year. 
So why would we change anything? And I'm certainly not going to change our scheduling model, which very well could make it harder for my teams getting to get into the playoff. So your bad league can have access. No chance. The point of all this is to say, anytime you see articles like this, and this came directly from ESPN today, about other Power 5 commissioners talking about expansion and forcing each other to play the same amount of conference games, just know that Greg Seiki is doing the exact right thing. Doing the exact right thing. He's sitting back and laughing at these people. While he counts his money and continues to send more teams to the college football playoff. I support expansion, but if they keep trying to pull this card, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. Tweet from Miles at me said, there are four conferences with 14 teams. The SEC, the Big, Tw- the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Conference USA. Seems like any of them could and should partner on conference agreements for scheduling certainty. Thanks for listening Miles, and uh, glad you are with me. We'll get to your text now, 601-879-4395. you want to be a part of the show, you can do it that way, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. Cody in Guntown is asking how excited Ole Miss fans should be about Lebby as their new offensive coordinator. Uh, very much so, for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's abundantly clear that Ole Miss has... Not some issues at quarterback, that's a bad word, but uncertainty at the quarterback position. I think the room's really talented, but it's largely inexperienced. Or, for example, Matt Corral's consistency needs some work. John Rice Plumley just needs to get better overall in the pass game, especially improving in the pocket. Jeff Lebby's a guy that, even though it's only been for a short time, is, is known as a quarterback guy. I mean, he's, he's the guy that got McKenzie Milton playing the way he did at UCF. And on top of that, his offensive mind seems to be pretty good as well. UCF right now is fourth in the country in total offense, averaging almost 540 yards per game. They're sixth in scoring, and there's only two teams in college football that average a 300-yard passer. Oh, excuse me. Average 300 yards through the air and 200 yards on the ground. It's UCF, who he was previously the offensive coordinator, and Oklahoma. That's it in college football. So it's an explosive and balanced offense that he's running that he'll bring to to Lane Kiffin's system at Ole Miss, and he is known as a a guy that has groomed, successfully groomed uh, quarterbacks, and he's got a track record of it. So it's just a really nice hire is what it boils down to, just a really nice hire. Vance on the coast is asking where Eli goes and who needs him. He would love to see him replicate what happened uh, with Peyton Manning going to Denver and winning a Super Bowl. Now, I have no sourcing to back this up, but I have a feeling this might be it for Eli. They're just, uh, the market for him is going to be very slim, maybe even non existent. Not because he still can't play, it's just if you look across the league, most teams are kind of set at quarterback one way or the other. Nobody's going to be really looking for an almost 40-year-old veteran to come in. And if 
there is a team out there that's like that, maybe Cincinnati. It's a really bad roster. And if you were Eli Manning making this decision, you would want to go to a place where you could win. And I just don't know how many contenders out there would be looking for a guy like him. I have a feeling uh, that he might be done. I think Sunday might be it. As a Georgia fan, I was impressed, Lossie says, with how Burrow was able to get away from pressure. He's quicker than you think. Absolutely. Does Kylan Hill make correct... uh, Did Kylan Hill make the correct move declaring for the draft? I think so. As a running back, your window is so small. And you only have so many hits on your body. And if somebody wants to pay you a lot of money to come play running back in the NFL, you have to take advantage of that situation because that position is just so physical and the wear and tear and the toll that it takes on your body. It's just not worth playing for free anymore. And he'll play in the bowl game, which I think is a great decision. And uh, somebody will take a chance on him, and he has a, a real opportunity to be a two-contract running back in the NFL. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.